Amen. Let's start in uh, Matthew chapter 8 tonight. The story in Matthew chapter 8 in the first verse tells us about the healing of the leper. We'll start in verse 1. It says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. As we say every time we read these passages of Scripture, this is the only person that came to Jesus without an understanding of his will. He recognized the power of God, was able to heal him, but he didn't know if God was willing. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that since that's the um, predominant, maybe the majority idea or attitude toward healing of the sick in the modern day, you don't find much of anybody that is a Christian that will declare that they don't believe that God does heal or can heal. But the question is, is nearly always about God's willingness to heal. I know that's the thing that, uh, that I've had to deal with. The question that I've had to deal with during the time that we've been pastoring the church and even the couple of years before we started the church where we were in ministry. I know the, the number one question, the number one issue is, is it God's will to heal me? Yet with all the multitudes and all the people that Jesus ministered to and all the things that it tells us about what Jesus did that are recorded for us by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, this is the only guy that didn't know if it was his will. The only guy. So he said, Master or Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. The only one that came to Jesus, or that we have record of, that came to Jesus, questioning the will of God concerning his healing, Jesus doesn't hesitate. And notice he doesn't have to pray to find out. He doesn't have to go to God in prayer. He doesn't have to tell the guy, look, meet me here tomorrow, and I'll spend some time praying about it and see what God says. But the fact that Jesus so readily and so quickly reached forth his hand and said, I will be thou clean, tells us because God is no respecter of persons, God never changes. What God wills for one, he must will for all, pertaining to at least the things that uh, belong to us, that have been accomplished to us, for us by the work of Jesus on the cross. If God's no respecter of persons, then he wants this guy to be well or healed then he would have to want the same thing for you and me. Furthermore, Jesus, who said clearly said on several occasions that he was here and sent to the earth not to do his own will but the will of the Father, since he doesn't have to pray to find out God's will, then we have to understand and conclude that it's God's will to heal all. If Jesus was operating contrary to God's will, that would make him a sinner. And the fact that Jesus didn't have to pray, didn't have to get some special revelation, some special information to know the answer to his question, which was, will you heal me? Then that has to be always God's will for everyone and every person. Now, the, the next verse tells us about the centurion. It get, goes right into the story of the, how the centurion came to Jesus and Jesus identified that he had great faith. But the story of the leper is in all three of the, the, the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us an, uh, an account of the leper. 
So let's look at it in some of the other, one of the other, or let's look at it in all three. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, it says, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according to as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Same exact circumstances, same exact story or event that's portrayed here by Luke as was by Matthew. But there's more to the story. Verse 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of them, healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Folks, I want you to see the impact that this one healing, this leper that was healed or cleansed, had on the surrounding territories. Look with me now to Matthew, to, uh, I'm sorry, we looked at Matthew chapter 8, we looked at Luke chapter 5. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Same story. And Jesus moved with compassion. I'm so glad it added that. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Same story, same circumstances. Verse 42. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto, him, unto them. Verse 45. But he went out and began to publish it much. The word publish is translated preach in most situations. In most of the times it's used, I think it's 63 times in the, in the Bible, throughout the Bible. Most of the time it's translated preach. It literally means to proclaim. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. Folks, this one man's testimony changed everything about the region, that particular region of the world. One man's testimony. Now Jesus said don't speak to any man but go show yourself to the priest. But this guy wouldn't shut up. Now there's only two possibilities here. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest and offer the commandment of Moses. There are, um, uh, in Leviticus, there is a very specific ritual that lepers who were cleansed had to follow. And I assume that God put the, the details and the uh, intricacies of the things that they were supposed to do so that it would prohibit people, that lepers that got better or weren't necessarily showing their leprosy to keep them from claiming that they were healed because leprosy was the most dreaded disease. It was a very highly communicable disease or contagious disease. And so there were safeguards put in place as to what lepers could and couldn't do and what they couldn't, where they could and couldn't go. And I have to assume that that was God trying to protect other people from, from contracting the disease themselves. But this guy 
it was only one of two things. He either broke or disobeyed Jesus' commandment by telling people. Or Jesus isn't saying don't tell anybody. He's saying first go to the priest and, and provide the information and fulfill the commandment of Moses in that respect. I believe it's the latter. I don't believe this guy did a wrong thing or disobeyed Jesus in any way by proclaiming what God had done for him. How can you disobey God by proclaiming the goodness of God? So apparently it's just Jesus is telling him not to tell anybody else, not because he doesn't want anybody else to know, but because he wants the law to be fulfilled for the leper's cleansing. You may remember that that's very similar to what happened in Luke chapter 17 that tells us the story of the ten lepers who were afar off and they saw Jesus and they cried out to him saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus just simply responded by saying, Go show yourself to the priest. Same thing he told this leper that was healed. Well, the Bible says in Luke 17 that as they went, they were healed. As they acted, according to what Jesus said, as they acted as a person who was cleansed from leprosy would act by going to the priest. They were cleansed as they went. One of you may remember turned back and came to Jesus. And when he fell down before Jesus and worshiped him, Jesus said, where are the other nine? Were there not ten cleansed? But this, only this one has come back to thank God for his goodness, meaning his healing mercy. Then Jesus says something else to him. He said, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Well, now Jesus already identified that all ten of them were healed. So made whole doesn't just mean leprosy being cleansed. It seems to imply that there was something else that took place in the body of this one that came back to worship God. Now we know what leprosy does. Leprosy eats away at the flesh. And it, if it progresses to the point, and, and usually the, the reason that it's such a deadly disease, or was in that day at least, is because it would eat away at the flesh and at the organs until the point where the body wouldn't function anymore. If something's eaten away at your, at your skin, once it gets to a certain place, you can't sustain life. If it's eating away at internal organs, once that organ is, uh, the, the eating away of that organ is progressed to a certain point, then it can't work anymore. And so the, it was very definitely the dreaded disease of that generation. So when Jesus says to the one that comes back, he says, weren't there ten cleansed? Only this one has come back to worship God for his goodness. Then he says, go your way. Thy faith has made you whole. Folks, we have to consider the possibility, and I don't think we can say definitively one way or the other, but I think we have to consider the possibility at least that any body parts or any damage that the leprosy had done to this one man that came back was undone or replaced some way or another. Look with me over to uh, Matthew chapter, well, let's not go there first. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Here's another notable miracle that brought about the knowledge of Jesus to the people in that area. And they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And he was come out of the ship. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. 
Folks, look at the supernatural strength that this man had because he was possessed of the devil. He broke chains. He broke fetters, and fetters are those wood things that they put around your hands and your feet or sometimes would stick people's head in the stocks type thing. He ripped these things apart with his bare hands. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. So it's more than just this one evil spirit. This one evil spirit has possessed the man, but the others are oppressing him. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was, a great, there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000. And choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled. And told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Notice how that's phrased. He was possessed with the devil but had the legion. When they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind they were afraid. Now folks I would submit to you they were afraid when this guy was demon possessed. But now he's free and they're, they're still afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now, folks, I want you to get this. And this is astonishing to me every time I read it. They see a miracle being done. They know this guy. He's, in, he's always in the tombs in that part of the, of the country. Everybody knew about him. He must have been a problem an ongoing problem because people had tried to bind him with chains and fetters. Why? If he's not hurting anything, if he's not bothering anybody, then why go to the trouble of trying to imprison him? And then when they see Jesus do the work or hear the work of the miracle work of Jesus delivering this guy that they've known for some period of time, we can't say that it's been years or a long time or anything like that, but they know something about him because People have tried to, to bind him, whether for his own good or for the safety of others, we don't know. But when they see this guy clothed and sitting still and in his right mind, they conclude that the answer to this problem is to get rid of Jesus. Jesus, you have fixed the great problem of this man living in the tombs, who certainly must be tormenting the people that come by at least on occasion. And so their response is, Jesus, could you leave this place? That's just fascinating to me. So the man that was possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. In other words, the guy says, let me go with you. I don't want to stay here. Let me go with you. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, 
Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Now notice that this is in Decapolis. Decapolis was a, uh, just simply means ten cities. There were cities, and this was not uh, specific to the day that Jesus was here, but all throughout the Roman Empire, Rome had established cities. Cities of refuge where they would house their um, military officers that would be stationed in that region, wherever they were, wherever they had conquered. This is not in the borders of Israel. That's why there's a herd of swine feeding. There's no way that anybody in, in Israel could have gotten away with a herd of swine within the boundaries of Israel or Judea. No way. So this is outside the boundaries of Israel. This is outside the geographic boundaries of Israel. That's why some of the circumstances were as they were identified. Now here's the case where Jesus says, go tell your friends. There was no law of Moses or commandment given by Moses that would apply to, to this guy as far as going to show himself to the priest or anything like that. So Jesus just simply says, go tell how good God's been to you. Let me show you what the result of this is. Look with me to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Jesus is back in that same territory. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now you've got two examples here. The gathering demoniac that was set free by the power of God. And the leper that didn't know if it was the will of God to heal him. But Jesus was moved with compassion and stretched forth his hand and healed him. In both cases, the testimonies of these individuals, the story proclaimed about how good God was to set them free, set him free in the gathering demoniac's case and healed the other concerning the leper. It changed everything about that area. It changed everything about what Jesus was able to do. We saw with the leper... He began to publish it abroad, so much so that Jesus couldn't go into the cities. When Jesus went into the cities, people would say, that's the guy that healed the leper. And they would swamp him or mob him. And so he had to stay on the outskirts of some of these towns and some of these cities. And not let it be known that he was there. But when people found out anyway, then they came to him in the wilderness. Same thing is true where this guy is concerned, the gathering demoniac is concerned. He began to publish it to such a degree and draw attention to the goodness of God and the deliverance that was provided for him. Everybody knew this guy. This is like the guy at the beautiful gate of the temple. Everybody recognized him. Everybody knew who he was. And he told the story. His testimony was so widespread that it affected how Jesus could move around. Now, folks, wouldn't it be a great thing for the church to be known to such a degree that our plans, our programs, our schedules are affected by the people that's heard about the goodness of God and they want some of it for themselves. Wouldn't that be a great thing?
there was a young lady that was called of God to be a missionary that my wife and I were acquainted with, not real good friends with, but acquainted with, that we heard a story of a great healing that took place in her ministry. Well, really, I should qualify that. It wasn't a matter of healing. It was a creative miracle that took place. And so we had heard different things about it. We'd heard reports about it. So we happened to be in a, a, a convention. We went back to a camp meeting that Brother Hagen held in Tulsa. And we saw her there, and so we asked her how this happened. We told her what we had heard and said, we want to get the real story from you. And so she kind of ducked her head a little bit. You could tell it was something that people were questioning her about consistently. And so she ducked her head a little bit and told it in just very few words. She didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. But she said that it was something, I guess she had heard a lot of the stories and a lot of the reports too, or had people that told her about what they had heard. But she said that it came at the end of a meeting that, they, that she was having in a certain place. And there hadn't been a lot that took place. There wasn't a lot of results in that meeting. And so it was late at night. She was tired. And somebody brought a child, a young child, to her that only had one foot. On the other leg, it ended about mid-thigh, I mean, about mid-calf. And there was just nothing there. It was just a stump. It wasn't something that where there had been a, a, an accident and the foot had been chopped off or anything like that. This was the way that she was born. And she said, this is her report, not mine. But she said, when I saw the baby or the young child, I guess the child was about three or four years old. She said, my heart sank. Because as I said, there hadn't been many results in that meeting there hadn't been much of anything to, to brag about. She was discouraged because of the lack of results. And so she sat down in a chair and just put this baby in her lap, this young child in her lap. And she just simply began to pray. And she said, Lord, you know I can't do anything about this. You know I don't have the power to do it. So if anything's going to be done, it's going to have to be you and only you. And she said, all of a sudden, she said, I had my hands on her legs, both legs. But under the leg that was without a foot all of a sudden I began to feel a vibration or something going on in the leg so she opened her eyes and right there in front of her right in front of the mother right in front of the people that were left at the meeting a foot grew out at the end of that leg well everything changed then the unsuccessful meeting went on further People got saved. People got healed. They had a mighty, mighty move of God that took place. As a result of that one healing or that one creative miracle, again, it's not a matter of healing. There was no foot there to heal. But God put a foot on that end, at the end of that leg. I want you to look with me for, to another scripture. Matthew chapter 15. Just turn over a page in your Bibles or whatever you're reading from. Let's start in verse 29. It said, And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. 
insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Notice that phrase, the maimed to be whole. That's one of the reasons why I think when Jesus told the one leper that came back, the one of the ten that came back to worship him, he said, thy faith has made thee whole. We've got another example here where the maimed were made whole. Now, folks, that has to mean the replacement of missing body parts. That's what maimed means, isn't it? So when the maimed were made whole, that's not a matter of healing. That's a creative miracle to replace a missing part. Well, God made your body. He must know where the parts are. And I want you to notice something else. Even though this list of people that were brought to him, all of these are very serious conditions. Blind, lame, dumb, maimed, and many others. That's a pretty heavy duty list. And Jesus healed them all. Insomuch that the people wondered when they saw the results, when they saw the dumb to speak, when they saw the maimed made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, that they glorified the God of Israel. Now let me ask you a question. Did God want the people of Jesus' day to glorify the God of Israel more than he wants to be glorified in our day and in the place that we live? I think we do ourselves a disservice when we accept the natural thought that some things are harder for God than others. Folks, it's all the same to God, whether it's a headache or whether it's putting a missing body part back, on, back in place. It's all the same to God. God doesn't have to store up his power for a couple of days to take care of a maimed person. He doesn't have to store up power for a couple of days to heal the blind. These are all things that are a part of his nature because he's God. Some of these very characteristics show and identify that he is God and that there is none else. I wonder what something like that would, ha would do in our day. I wonder what a missing body part being replaced, a creative miracle and something like that, I wonder what that would do in our day. Now in the early days of the church, we uh, referred to the Acts 3 story of the lame man that was laid daily at the beautiful gate of the temple. You remember the story how that Peter and John looked on him. Peter said, such a, uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. He told him, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The end result was that 5,000 people got saved that day. As F.F. F. Bosworth says, healing has always been the dinner bell to salvation. Healings have always been that which drew people's attention to the power of God, certainly, but the goodness of God, too, for performing these great healing works. In the early days of the church, that was something that the church was identified as, a place of healing, a place of deliverance, and the power of God on display. Was that the will of God? Well, it couldn't have happened any other way. If it wasn't the will of God, it certainly wouldn't have taken place, would it? 
Well, if it was the will of God for the early church to be known like that, how is it that we don't expect that to be the will of God for us too? One of the things it says when they took Peter, when the religious leaders took Peter and John into custody after the man was healed, the man at the beautiful gate was healed. One of the things that the Pharisees and the priesthood identified or spoke, they said, we can't deny that a notable miracle has been done. They didn't want to admit it had anything to do with Jesus. They didn't want the disciples to tell that it was Jesus that was behind it, so they commanded them not to preach or teach them anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said, well, you decide for yourself whether we ought to obey God or not. But if that was, if the healing of the, the leper, I mean the healing of the crippled guy, was something that God used to bring notoriety to, to the church and to publicize the power in the name of Jesus, since God's will never changes, how can that not be his will for us? Folks, these are things that I'm starting to see in my heart like never before. These are things that I'm being led by the Holy Ghost as I've been confessing and believing for him to guide me into the truth of God's will and God's plan and God's purpose. I'm starting to get stirred up about this stuff like I never have before. And I believe with all my heart, write it down because you'll be able to remember that I said it. I believe with all my heart that there are going to be notable miracles that are done. And that church is not just ours, but certainly including ours. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I thought I was just praying for other churches and not our own too. But I believe it's going to be something where the delivering and the healing power of God is known in such measure that people come from the outside and come from distances just like they did in Jesus' day. Now there's a work that needs to be done in us before that can take place. I believe one of the works that need to be done for us is that we need to consider and understand that all healing is the same with God. There aren't hard cases and easier cases. I believe that's one thing about Jesus that enabled him to walk with the power and the authority that he had. It's just like when Jesus was casting the devil out of the man from Gadara, the madman of Gadara. Jesus had already said to the evil spirit, come out of him. And the evil spirit answered back and said, don't send me out of this country. Jesus asked him his name. He said, what is your name? And the, the evil spirit answered, said, my name is Legion for we are many. There was an understanding that Jesus had about the spirit realm. There was an understanding that Jesus had about the power of the devil and his freedom or his ability to work in his day that enabled Jesus to know what the problem was. He identified what the problem was and dealt with them accordingly. Now, I've seen situations where people have, have read that story where Jesus asked the devil what his name was, the evil spirit that possessed this man, what is thy name? And some people have tried to make a pattern out of that, thinking that you've got to have the name of the devil in every case to exercise authority over it. Well, folks, that can't be right. It's not right. But in this one case, at least, Jesus understood how things worked to such a degree that he knew what the 
the situation called for. I think we need to come to that place too. And there's no way to get there other than experience and or revelation from God. We have to come to the place where we know, again, whether it's by revelation or whether it's just by experience. But these are things that we're going to have to identify. One of the things that, uh, that strikes me in this regard is that after Jesus, uh, after Peter and John, excuse me, after they healed the guy at the beautiful gate, was threatened by the, the priesthood not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, Acts chapter 4 says they went back to their own company. And they reported all the chief priests and elders had sent unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now that means everybody in the house prayed. Everybody prayed. Now if everybody's praying, what are they praying? I don't think Peter pulled out a sheet of paper and said, Here, I was thinking about this on our way back. And here's what I want you guys to repeat after me. Rather, I believe that when they prayed in one accord, they're all praying in other tongues. And this is the interpretation for what they prayed by the Spirit of God. This is the interpretation, at least in part. There may have been some things that they prayed with their own understanding. But for all of them to pray it together, it seems like they've got to be praying in other tongues for a part of this anyway. And one of the things that they asked for, one of the things that they identified that they needed was boldness to speak the word. Now, they're talking about a very specific type of boldness. They said, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. Now, folks, God just stretched forth his hand to heal in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, when the man at the beautiful gate was healed. He's already stretched forth his hand to heal. But the disciples understood something else. They understood their need for greater boldness. I don't believe they're saying we don't have any boldness because the Bible clearly says that they answered the high priest with boldness and that the high priest took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They boldly declared this healing work, this miracle work was done in the name of Jesus whom you crucified. Well, they still have the power to crucify Peter and John now, don't they? And remember, before Jesus appeared to them at the resurrection or after his resurrection, they're behind closed doors for fear of these very people they're talking to. So something has clearly happened to change them from the point in time just a few weeks before, perhaps, where they're hiding behind closed doors because they're afraid that now that the, the high priest, the chief priests, and the elders have crucified Jesus, they could come for his disciples, his followers too. And look at the change that was made in them. Where they're speaking boldly and accusing them, again the chief priests and the elders, for crucifying Jesus, who was the Son of God himself. But they're not satisfied with just that level of boldness. Grant unto thy servants boldness, that with all boldness we may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal. Folks, there's a boldness that comes only by experiencing the healing power of God. I believe that had a lot to do with Jesus 
knowing and understanding how the things of the unseen realm, things of the spirit realm work. And I believe that we need that same understanding, at least in part, at least in measure. To stand in the place that God has provided for us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm believing for notable miracles. Now what does it take to bring about a notable miracle? Well, we can't produce them ourselves, can we? I remember a story that Brother Hagin told about a meeting that he was in. And about 100 miles away, there was a, a convention, a Pentecostal convention that was going on. So the pastor of the church asked Brother Hagin if he wanted to take the car or ride with him, the pastor, and t drive this 100 miles or so and then come back for the night service. And Brother Hagin agreed to do it. And whatever, for whatever reason, the time that they were planning to go back or come back to have the services that night, they were delayed or didn't get off in, in the time that they planned. And so they were really, really, really having to rush to get back. Brother Hagin talked about how that he, the, he started off getting in the back seat, praying, trying to get ready, of the, ready for the service. And the way that this pastor was driving, he said, I wound up having to pray for our own safety and get, didn't get any praying done for the service at all. They got back, and the service had already started. They were already singing worship songs. And so he went next door to the meeting place, next door to the church, to the parsonage. And he's changing his shirt, and he's trying to tie his tie, and he can't get anything right. Can't get the tie to the right length and that kind of stuff. And so he's complaining to God all the way around. Now, part of the reason he's complaining is because he had announced that that night would be a healing and miracle service. And so when they drove up to the church, they saw three ambulances there. So he knows that there's at least three stretcher cases waiting for him in the church. And so he's complaining, Lord, if I, didn't, if I had known it was going to be like this, I never would have advertised a healing and miracle service for tonight. And he's complaining about how the pastor is driving. He's complaining about being so overwrought, nervous because of the experience and that type of thing. And so he says again to the Lord, here we've got these three stretcher cases, at least three turned out to be four, I think. Again, he said, if I had known this, I never would have made tonight a miracle service. And he heard a voice from behind him, and the voice said, were you planning to heal him? Brother Hagin said it startled him. He looked around the room to see if there was somebody there. He reasoned. That if somebody had come into the room while he was complaining, he was complaining out loud. Maybe they heard what was going on. Somebody's playing a trick on him or something. But he looked around the, the house and realized this had to be God. There's nobody else there. And so he answered back to the Lord and he said, no, Lord, I wasn't planning to heal him. I couldn't heal a gnat swing. I couldn't heal a fly's eyeball. And so the Lord said to him, I know that you needed to go where you were today. It'd be different if you'd spent your time playing around, doing other kinds of stuff. But you were doing something that you needed to do to fulfill my call upon your, your life and your ministry. He said, so just go into the service and lean back on me. Brother Hagin went over to the service, wound up ministering to the sick in that service. And all the stretcher cases were instantly healed. Brother Hagin said, I just spent that evening during the service Leaning back on God and watching him do his thing. He said it was one of the highlights of his years in ministry.
I don't believe God wanted that for that church more than he wants something like that for our church. Do you? I believe we're entering into a day, the last days, where as the world gets worse and worse, as people get further and further away from God, I believe with all of my heart that God's going to do notable miracles that no one can argue against. Might not make them believers. Not everybody that sees a miracle believes in God. And not everybody that says, if I could only see a miracle I'd believe, really does believe when they see one. But I believe there are going to be notable miracles in our day because God is who he says he is. Because God wants the precious fruit of the earth, the last day harvest, come into his family. I believe in notable, believe for notable miracles. I believe it's going to be something where we can experience a boldness to speak the word of God. The kind of boldness that comes only by seeing God's hand to heal stretched forth. Smith Wilkersworth talked about before he died, he prophesied to some well-known ministers that the last day revival would be a combination of the word of God and the moving of the spirit of God. And he said, and then shall the end come. I believe that's our day. I believe those are things we're going to see. We've had a revival of the word in the 80s. We had a revival concerning the move of the Holy Ghost in the 60s. But he prophesied that the last day revival would be a combination of both. I believe that's what we're going to see. And when we do see it, it's something that will spread the news and the notoriety of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the healing power of God will be made known around the earth. Folks, we see things on the internet, things that go viral. Can you imagine the miracle working power of God going viral? Can you imagine what God could do in this last day, age of technology, with social media and people connected to one another across the planet? Can you imagine what he could do with a display of his power? And how quickly that could change people all around the world. I believe that's the way it's going to be. I believe it will be such that those who do not believe in these things will have to say just like the chief priests and elders said to Peter and John. That a notable miracle has been done is obvious or evident. And we can't deny it. I'm looking for an undeniable move of the spirit of God. I'm looking for an undeniable river of healing. John Lake used to pray concerning his ministry in South Africa that healing would flow like a river and salvation would rise as the tide. God answered that prayer. And that's exactly what he had. Well, if God would answer John Lake's prayer about it, and not answer ours. 
then he can't be who he says in his word that he is. But because he is no respecter of persons, thank God for the healing river that flows through us and the salvation that rises as the tide. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe that all power is yours in heaven and in earth. We believe your power is available to us here on the earth when we use our authority in the name of Jesus. But Father, as we prayed many, many, many times over many, many years, we remind you that you said your glory would cover the earth like the waters covered the sea. You said the glory of the last day church would be greater than of the former church. That means we will have to have at least the same miracles and healings and works that you did with them for ourselves. But then if it's going to be greater glory, Lord, we expect that that means that we'll have greater healings. Greater events that bring people into the kingdom of God. We thank you, therefore, Father, for notable miracles. And we offer ourselves unto you to be changed or conformed or adapted any way that you see fit. Because we ask what the early church asked for as well. Grant unto us boldness that we may speak your word. The boldness that comes from stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. I want to thank you, Father, for stirring our hearts. Quickening us to pray these things. Because we know that since you've quickened our heart to pray these things, this is exactly what your will is to perform. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Glorify the name of Jesus through healing. Glorify the name of Jesus through miracles. Glorify the name of Jesus with even greater works than Jesus said that we would do. He told us we'd do the same works and even greater works because he went to the Father. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing about those greater works, whatever they may be. We love you, Father. We thank you for watching over your word to perform it. Therefore, by faith, without seeing it, we glorify you for the healing river that flows through us and the salvation that rises as the time. We pray these things according to your will and in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Let's just lift our hands to God and thank him for having heard us. We bless you, Father. We thank you that because we prayed according to your will, we prayed according to your word, so it has to be according to your will. Therefore, we know that you hear us. And since we know you hear us, we thank you for granting us the petitions that we presented before you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for boldness. Thank you for the power of God being known. Thank you for glorifying the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Say this after me. I believe it shall be even as it was told us. Amen. God bless you folks. Thanks for being with us.